makes the greats great? What makes the successful successful? What makes the brilliant brilliant? Our Tuesday meetups with the celebrities of pharma industry and science are your one-stop shop to all these answers and more. Join us for Pies of Life, an initiative of the Biopatrika Industry Mentorship Program, where we bring your dream mentors to you. Yeah, so thanks, Surajya, for coming. And um, it's always fun to to have a few people on. The, the fewer people there are, sometimes it actually is much more interesting conversations happen, you know. The, so so it's great that, you know, the, only the five of us are going to talk today. Um, but as you've done this recently uh, for the students in, in India, you have a general idea. So I, on every Tuesday or, or every Wednesday evening at eight o'clock or so, I try to get some someone to speak to these students. Um, and uh, my, um, my intention is, you know, I have really no intention. My intention is just have fun. I'm like nothing at eight o'clock in the evening on, on Wednesdays. And if some other people want to have fun <laughs> with me, great. If you learn something along the way, great. If you, if you don't learn anything, it was a good hour spent. <laughs> so that's sort of the motive. But I think in reality, um, the networking, the mentoring, which is always bi-directional, um, you know, I think I think helps a lot. So we we I think the best thing is maybe you can tell us about yourself, and then we'll see where the questions go. Okay. So thanks, Naren. Thanks for inviting me again to this group. Um, so uh, the last time when I spoke to uh, Naren's group in India, he asked me to talk about change and um, change in terms of career and things like that. So. Maybe what, uh, because you know, nowadays everybody has so many different career options that are in front of them. Things change, events change. So it's good to be prepared for change rather than say, okay, today I'm going to be this and that's what I'm going to be for the rest of my life because I don't think that works anymore. So um, I started out uh, with my undergrad and master's in human biology and pharmacology in India from the All India Institute of Medical Sciences. And then I came to the US to do my PhD at University of Illinois. And I was enjoying the work a lot. My PhD is in pharmacology, by the way. So it's nice to meet uh, fellow pharmaceutical science people. Although microbiology, I like microbiology too. So, <laughs> so um, I started doing my PhD. And uh, towards the end of my PhD, um, I was working in neuroscience. So um, towards the end of my PhD, I started realizing that I really don't like working with animals very much, but I really love the science. And I was a firm believer in studying systems physiology. So I didn't want to go into doing, you know, cell, uh, cell based work and things like that. So towards the end of my PhD, I suddenly developed a terrible allergy to lab animals, specifically to rats. So despite that, I said, okay, you know, um, I didn't, I, I still hadn't um, thought about doing anything other than uh, pharmacology. So I did a postdoc at UC San Francisco, uh, working on pain modulation, and uh, there I, my allergies became really bad. I had to wear this big mask and all that, and um, I also realized more and more that I really detested working with animals. Uh, so, and also my supervisor was a woman who, looking back, I think she did me a favor, but at the time it really felt like she was very harsh because she told me, you know, women who are on the mommy track, I just had a daughter, my daughter at that time. 
He was like nine months old when I started my postdoc. And he said, you know, women who are on the mommy track, they're never going to make it in academia. So, you know, you're coming at eight and you're leaving at five. That's just not going to cut it. You just have to be here. So I was like, you know, very hurt and very insulted and all of that stuff. And that plus the fact that I hated working with animals, plus the fact that I was so allergic to rats, plus the fact that I loved the science, but I didn't believe in going into doing anything more granular than, you know, a systems approach. Um, I decided that I'll quit lab work and um, look for something else to do. And that was a very difficult decision because um, I really didn't know what else existed out there for somebody with a PhD and a postdoc in studying pain modulation. So, and you know, my husband's a physician. So both of us, our, our friends were all science people, um, you know, who never thought about doing anything other than what you were trained to do. But at the time I thought, okay, you know, let me get an MBA because I really didn't know what an MBA was all about either. But I thought, you know, maybe it'll expand my horizons and I'll learn, you know, meet different people from different walks of life and stuff. I enrolled for an MBA program at the University of Cincinnati. Um, and it took me almost the same amount of time to get my PhD, uh, to get my MBA as it did my PhD because I did it part time and I had my, by now I had two children. So uh, <clears throat> it took me like almost three and a half years to get my MBA. But after getting the MBA, I actually got a job in Eli um, Lilly, which is a pharmaceutical company. Um, and um, it was in the division of uh, psychiatry and working with one of their uh, major antipsychotics at the time. Actually, it was their big drug at the time, Zyprexar, Olanzapine. And I got a job there working in the publications group under the medical group. So I loved it. Like, you know, we were looking at clinical trial design. We were looking at publishing all the results and, you know, working with marketing. But we are still like under medical. So, you know, you get to see the range of stuff that happens uh, in a drug that's already in the market. What are the issues that are there? How do you promote a drug? How do you develop a drug for other indications other than its primary indications? You know, thought leader management, all kinds of really fascinating things. And then from there, and I loved it because I liked working with people. I liked interacting with people, which was something that I missed when I was working in the lab. You know, it was basically just me and my rat in a dark room with the oscilloscope and an electrode in its brain that, you know, measuring. It was very exciting. I'm not, I'm not saying that it was not interesting, but it was not, uh, you know, this was different. Then from uh, publications, I moved into regulatory affairs, which was even more interesting because now I could see the whole gamut of drug development, right from, you know, um, how a molecule was uh, invented or, you know, discovered and then how they would test it in animals and then bring it up uh, into all the different stages and then bring it into the clinic. Love that. And then in the meantime, um, then we moved to Philadelphia because my husband was uh, working for I got a very, very good job with GlaxoSmithKline, and I joined their psychiatry division too as a neuroscience, as a clinical research scientist in the psychiatry division again. I did a lot of very interesting work there. Um, worked on Paxil, which is an antidepressant. At the time, it was just coming about that you know, working with I mean, antidepressants can cause an increase in suicidality. So we, I worked on the regulatory response of that issue with the European. Um, with the CHMP and with the EMEA and, you know, those guys. Uh, and then we started working on <clears throat> developing a 
and antidepressant. So designing the clinical trials and then making that you know whole thing happen, and um, you know look, ultimately that drug failed. I mean the clinical trial was negative. It was a successful trial, but the drug did not work as an antidepressant. So you know that also was a learning because um, not you know every drug doesn't make it to the market. And how do you design a clinical trial? that you, you know is a sound trial, you know, you have good active controls and those active controls separate from placebo, but your drug doesn't separate from placebo. So a lot of learning, even though, you know, the study the studies were negative. And then from there, I worked on a couple of other things. I worked on sleep and, you know, things like that. <clears throat> and then um, because, you know, this drug that I was working on was actually the one that the company had pinned their hopes on. And when the drug failed, and everything else that they had was basically off patent, you know, Paxil was off patent, uh, everything else. The, the company decided to get out of neuroscience. So they said, okay, we are closing our psychiatry division and everybody, you know, gets a notice period. Either you guys look for another job within the company or you you leave and, you know, you get a, a package. So, um, at that time, again, my husband got a very good job in Boston working for Sanofi. And um, so I moved, uh, you know, I took the package and we moved. And when we came here, um, I thought I'll take a year, a year off because my son had, you know, was in school. We were adjusting to a new life. My husband was traveling a lot. So, but then I realized, you know, and uh, I realized when I was here that, you know, it's okay for me to take a, a year off. but I didn't have anything to do once my son went to school. I mean, so you know what? There was really no point in my sitting at home doing nothing. But uh, so I have a friend who's uh, in, in Philadelphia. Actually, in Philadelphia is where I met uh, Narain. We had a music teacher, and from that music teacher, there was a whole group of us that became very good friends. So in that group, there was one lady called uh, Dr. Kalpana Patankar. So she is a physician who had studied Chinese medicine, like I think at that time, really 10, 15 years ago, and she had become a Chinese medicine practitioner. So when we moved here, she said, you know, Surija, why don't you think about studying Chinese medicine? I was like, what, who the heck, you know, I never had given it a thought about Chinese medicine, I, didn't, I knew nothing about it. I had never had acupuncture or anything like that before. And she said, no, 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 you'll really enjoy it, um, you know, because, um, it's like raga music. So we all love classical, uh, Hindustani classical music. She said, you know, it's like raga music. Like there's a framework, but then you have you can improvise within that, and um, you 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 know something. It's, a, it's something that you can carry with you for the rest of your life, and you'll help so many people. Blah blah blah. So I was like, you know, not really didn't really buy into it. But I thought, okay, at least I should get an acupuncture treatment and see what that feels like. There's a very good acupuncture school here. It's actually the oldest school in the country. I went there and I got a treatment for my hot flashes. I was getting hot flashes all the time. And to my surprise, um, the guy who treated me, he had a very similar background. So he had a, a PhD in cancer biology. So this guy who did my treatment, he had a PhD in cancer biology. And he was working for AstraZeneca. So, you know, I thought maybe you know, this is a sign from the universe that I should not ignore this uh, this, this opportunity. So um, I um, it's kind of joined, uh, I went to that acupuncture school and I, I applied for admission and all that. And 
I got in, and I thought, uh, you know, let me try and uh, let me try and um, try it out for a semester and see if I like it. If I don't like it, I'm going to quit. And I didn't actually really like it because it was very different. You know, it was very uh, <clears throat> the language was very quick. The approach was very like old-fashioned kind of thing. You know, you're talking about the whole being being in uh, in in equilibrium with the environment. You're talking about uh, you know the effect of heat outside, cold, and you know things like we don't you know there's nothing genetic or anything we were talking about, or even like you know when they talked about the different organ systems like the heart or the kidney or something, they didn't exactly mean what the heart is in Western medicine as we understand it, or the kidney. So it's very different. <clears throat> but um, one of the things that the school had us do was follow practitioners in the community and see how they uh, how they work. Because once you do something like acupuncture, you know, after it, there's no jobs waiting for you. You have to have a, start your own practice or you go work for somebody else who has a practice. You know, there's no hospital jobs or anything. And, uh, you know, during this time, it was also a lot of uh, introspection for me because this was a very different uh, field from studying something sexy like neuroscience, you know, working in a wonderful pharmaceutical company where you're meeting so many different interesting people, highly educated people. Um, you know, you're, you have a standing in society because, you know, you work for BSK or you work for Philly and you are a, you know, you're a scientist and all that. And, you know, you leave all that. And my friend's daughters actually asked me, she said, Jati, you want to be a, an acupuncturist when you're a neuroscientist? You know, what are you, what are you doing? And those were you know, really things that really um, you, you had, had to think about, especially when, you know, my classmates by now, like, you know, one of them is heading up an international organization, another one's head of the department of um, biophysics in the school. Another one is the head of the Watson program at IBM. You know, people are doing like really well. And then there's me starting off again with my third master's degree. Anyway, in the meantime, there was a lot of uh, this, a lot of introspection. But um, I was doing a lot of reading. You know, not just about um, uh, Chinese medicine, but also about you know self development, understanding things like that. So um, I read. Hopefully, I read, uh, um, you know, I listened to Sadhguru's talk. I listened to, you know, all these kinds of sort of philosophical questions. And um, it sort of helped me understand, you know, about basically you're responsible. What, what can you do when you're faced with situations? The only thing you can do is control your own reaction. There's nothing else you can do. Like, the world is not going to dance to your tune. So, of you freaking out, you giving, you know, feeling like, you know, your life is ended, like there's nothing, you know, you're a failure, all of these things. You think about, um, you want to, you know, look at it, look at something that's in a positive light. And also along the way, you know, I also discovered, and I, I mentioned this at the last group meeting with Naren too, is that um, I realized that when you're a scientist, actually we are supposed to have a very open mind and accept, you know, everything, but actually at least to just speak for myself. I did not. My mind was not open. My mind was closed to anything that was outside of, you know, traditional science. So um, this whole thing about Chinese medicine, like, you know, it just, it, I, I had a bad attitude, really, if I think about it. So, um, but something that Sadhguru said really uh, helped me. He said, you know, um, 
knowledge is finite, but ignorance is infinite. You should always keep your mind open to everything that's around you. And another thing that really helped me was, you know, my husband, he's also a scientist in addition to being a physician. And he said, you know, what's the first thing about science? You know, when you, the first thing is observation, right? And you have here two, three thousand years worth of observation, clinical observation. And, um, you know, how can you discount that? You can't discount it. It's really important. So that was wonderful because my PhD was based on like maybe 50 rats. And uh, here I was questioning uh, information from, you know, 3,000 years. Anyway, along the way, um, so these were all you know, self-development uh, things that I was working on while I was studying Chinese medicine. And along the way, um, I discovered, you know, while I was working with other practitioners that the medicine is very powerful. A lot of people, most people come to Chinese medicine after they've tried everything. You know? Like they've gone to the doctor, they've gone to the ER, they've taken 20 different medications, had 10 different tests, and then they're still not well. So they're like, okay, let me try this, you know, last, last, uh, last kind of thing. And then people start getting better with this medicine. And it's really quite amazing to see how, you know, some very, very sick people would come in and they feel a lot better. So that increased my confidence in medicine. And then when I became an intern and I started practicing, you know, I basically, I mean, as an intern, how much do you know, right? You only studied for two and a half years and then you start uh, practicing, but you practice using the principles that, of that medicine. And then even my patients started getting better, which to me was really a matter of huge surprise. So the medicine, what I mean to say, the medicine was very uh, powerful. So. You know, all of these uh, career changes that I made, um, every one of them came with a lot of anxiety. Every one of them involved a lot of, you know, some kind of a risk that I took. But at the same time, I also had uh, the safety net, um, you know, of my family support, which was really important. Um, and um, so, you know, I made the change. Now I'm a I have six years of, uh, I've been running my own clinic for the last six years and doing well. Um, certainly, like, you know, there are a lot of different challenges that you, when you do something like this, first of all, you know, you have to get people buy-in. So just because I opened a clinic doesn't mean anyone's going to come. Nobody came. So you have to go and do a lot of networking, which is, you know, for people who are scientists, it's a very difficult thing to do because we are all so cocooned in our little world. So I had to go out, um, you know, put myself into all these uncomfortable situations. So like discovered there's a group called BNI, Business Network International. They meet every morning at 7 a.m., which was even another big turnoff because getting anywhere at 7 a.m. was very horrible. But anyway, I made a few meetings there. But even there, like, you know, so you meet with people from different walks of life. You know, there's one plumber there. There's one person who, who's a baker there. There's one person who's a lawyer. There's one person who's uh, something else. So one person from every profession is represented there. And you would think like, you know, what, what are these people going to do for you or what are you going to do for them? And in the most strangest ways, the woman who had the bakery uh, used to volunteer at the senior center in the town next to mine. And she introduced me to the senior center director and I started running a clinic there. So you just don't know, you know who's going to come from where to just keep an open mind and talk to anybody, everybody, and, you know, not for the purpose of getting something out of them or giving them something, but just having a conversation and you never know where it's going to lead, right? 
So um, a lot of different things. And then I joined one some organ an organization called the Holistic Health Alliance. So this is a organization that has uh, people from different, uh, you know, supplementary alternate therapies. You things that I would have completely dismissed when I was a scientist, you know, Reiki or, you know, um, there's some instrument called the Beamer. I even met a, met a woman who called herself a goddess, which is, well, I bet none of you have met a goddess. I have met a goddess. <laughs> but, you know, for whatever it's worth, it was a very, you know, very interesting thing um, to have sit next to somebody who tells you that I, she's a goddess. And you're just like, okay, <laughs> that's the story I have for my life. But a lot of different interesting people I met there who, you know, helped me, who referred patients to me, who I refer people to, or I can call them and ask them. So, um, again, the importance of networking is, I think, it cannot be understated. And, again, and also, um, it's okay to, to ask people for things, and, you know, at worst, they're going to say no. And it's okay to offer people some help if you can. You know, that's also a good thing. Sometimes they'll take it, sometimes they won't. But um, it's, and that discomfort that you feel, you know, when you put yourself out there. I think it's natural, but, you know, I don't know how much you guys network, but I, you know, in, in my career, when I was where you guys are, I would not have done it. It was really nasty and uncomfortable and it felt self-centered or, you know, weird. But uh, I don't, the world doesn't really perceive it that way. It's a good thing to do, I think. So, uh, yeah, so that continues now. Um, you know, in the meantime, I think it's also really important to have um, other interests uh, so that you're not just chasing after your career all the time. Um, the classical music for me is like a really uh, fascinating thing. I love it. Uh, we've been doing it forever and like it seems like forever now but never seem to get any better at anything but it's okay too we, we're doing it for the fun of it you know for the joy of uh, doing it um what else yeah so i think that's pretty much where i am right now i would say one of the things that i um, now retrospectively thinking about things you know, when you're young um, and you're, you know, in the life situations where you are at, it always feels like, you know, um, if you don't achieve this by such and such an age, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, you know, you're going to, you're going to be the end of the world, like you're going to be a loser or, you know, something like that. But that's really not true because you have a long, long time ahead of you and so many opportunities that will come. In this moment, something that might be, you know, very stressful, like I'm not getting my visa or I'm not getting the letter or, you know, something like that. It's, there's no question. It's very, very stressful when it's happening. But it's, it's temporary to probably get fixed in the next six months. You know, that you find something else that's really uh, not what you were expecting, but that turns out to be really fun. Or you find something that you really hate and you realize, oh, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do something, you know, whatever that yourself open to opportunity I think is really important and not thinking that the world is going to end if this doesn't happen or that doesn't happen you know the world really doesn't end it just it just goes on so you might as well make a good good uh, you might as well be happy about it you know and take whatever you can get that in a nutshell is my story. I don't know if uh, anything, if you guys have any questions, anything, I'm more than happy to talk. Yeah. 
thank you that was uh, like something very different and like for me i would think of like what if i do things like this after my phd and then i do think like is it that i'm supposed to do after getting a phd so yeah i think your like the journey the way you explain it's all roller coaster ride and so i wanted to ask that you you changed your personality in so many ways you had to change your personality in so many ways to adapt to so many situations so that flexibility of being adaptive uh, does that come with a situation because the situation was like that or um, it was something inherent that you would say that you somehow had and that's why you took those steps or you had something in yourself that you know okay i'm flexible enough to do this or do that that's a really good question wow so all my wisdom is now like obviously you know hindsight is 2020 right so in the moment it's always very difficult there's no question about it i don't know that i don't know if i was born flexible i have no idea but i definitely uh, i think for me the turning point in my first career change like getting out of doing uh, research lab research was really because i just couldn't stand it anymore i really just couldn't stand it anymore um and i could not think of doing another postdoc and then another postdoc and then another postdoc and then looking for an academic job and then you know um writing grants and i like i really I just could not like it was a visceral thing that i didn't want to do anymore so so i st- i actually got into a phd program uh, i mean a postdoc after the first postdoc uh, again working on pain but i just like you know i'm like no i'm not going to do this so then i so then you know i studied for the uh, the gmat and mm. um, because honestly i didn't know anything else i didn't know what i could do mm. we did not have anybody you know we didn't have mentors or you know we didn't know anybody who did anything else and, you know like now we are talking what 25 30 years ago where moving from like leaving your phd work or you know your lab work and doing something else was really like i mean like such a disaster you know your life is over and you know you're just a loser you know that kind of an attitude was there i don't know if it's still there or not but it's definitely like some you know it was and going into industry was also like not you know kind of looked down upon from the academic and i think that attitude is still there a little bit in academia that you know industry is a little respect and you know is shady and does everything for money which is i think not really true but money is there of course it's a bottom line but <coughs> there's a lot of very rigorous research that happens in industry right narin so oh, fantastic oh. yeah oh. <coughs> so yeah i don't think um so once you make a change then i think uh, it becomes a little bit easier to make the next change but when you do something mm. especially when it's within that so once i got into lily then you know working for publications and medical writing and stuff that was fun. but then switching to regulatory affairs was a the change mm. again like within companies too you know you sort of follow the same path that you're in <laughs> but you make the change and you know you discover that you you i think sometimes you pay because you know maybe you won't get that promotion that you could have got in the line that you were in so but you get to learn something very different you get to see something very different 
So, you know, there's always, I think, the trade-off. But if you decide that whatever you're going to do is going to be fun, mm -hmm. why should it not be, right? And then somebody's really out there to just make your life miserable, which happens sometimes, but I don't think all the time. And then making a big change again, the Chinese medicine chain, that was also a big change for me. I mean, that was like leaving behind this respectable career path. And that was also, you know, uh, a lot of soul searching and uh, things like that. Yeah. yeah. But if you make and, it, yeah, I mean. Yeah, and I had actually one more question. So uh, you mentioned few things. I have learned Reiki first level when I was back home in India. Uh, like my mom told me to, you know, just learn it for yourself. Don't do anything. It, it's just for yourself. So just learn the first level. And uh, one of our family friends does acupressure. Uh, I know acupuncture is different. So I have, uh, like, I had my ligament injury. So he being a family friend, I have got acupressure treatments for him. And I I know that they work. So as, you know, you were a pure, you know, scientific uh, researcher. And now you become a Chinese medicine practitioner. So... If posed a question, what would you say? Like, like people do ask questions, right? If it is, this is like both are science, but still people have still a feeling that, okay, what would you go for? You will go for a paracetamol versus you will go for acupressure or acupuncture treatment. So when you had this ship, now what do you think from your uh, experience that what would you recommend? Or what would you say on that? Again, very good question, Amrita. Really good. So, uh, of course, this is something that, you know, people are all the time asking about. And what would you do? So, in my opinion, uh, I think all of these medicines are equally good. I think they're all, all complement each other. Western medicine complements uh, um, Chinese medicine complements, Ayurveda complements homeopathy. I think they all exist. They should all coexist ideally in some you know, ideal wellness center. I think, you know, for certain things, like if you have an infection, I would say take an antibiotic. I mean, I would not say, no, 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 no. You know, you go and do acupuncture and, you know, reduce the heat in your body. Why? When you've got something that's been tried and true and trusted, yes. Um, if you've got like, you know, uh, back pain, which you've already gone and got Eleanor and Motrin and, you know, muscle relaxant and your therapy and all that, I you know, do acupuncture. It really helps, you know. So, um, and then while you're doing acupuncture, if you get physical therapy, it's wonderful because the two will work, uh, you know, synergistically, not just a one plus one equation. So, um, you know, if somebody's depressed and they're on an antidepressant and they come to me, I'm not going to say, like, get off your antidepressant, you know, let's work on your mood from the Chinese medicine lens. No, we try to help them from, you know, with Chinese medicine. And the goal being working with their physician, um, see if we can get them off the antidepressant, taper it off. It's absolutely collaborative. I think each one of these medicines has their own place. And it, it, it would be stupid to deny that one is better than the other. Each one of them has their own medicines. And that's the thing that we need to open our minds to. You know, don't... And, a lot yeah. of, like, you know, people will come to me like... Uh, this lady came who had vertigo for eight years and her vertigo went away. I mean, the neurologist basically told her, just you just lie down for a week. 
and then you'll be, you know, it'll go away and you'll be fine because it's benign positional vertigo. Nobody knows what causes it to happen. But we got better with the acupuncture. And so she went and told the neurologist and he said, ah, that's just some mumbo jumbo. <laughs> So, yeah so okay. yeah if, the if there any effort in collaboration of these different things because that's what if we think is the final thing that can solve are are the people open for the such collaborative efforts yes. and people are becoming more open now i have a lady who's a physician and she's a cardiologist at mass general hospital she regularly refers patients to me she herself used to come for treatment and she really liked it. I recently had a guy who's a gastroenterologist. He came to me and he uh, felt a lot better. So he told me, he said, give me a bunch of your cards because I'm going to refer patients to you. Um, I have a patient who's a very good therapist. If I find somebody who's having issues, you know, they're having marital issues or, you know, whatever, or who's my patient, then I will refer to her. Or, you know, so mm. that, uh, I have a friend who's a very good Ayurvedic practitioner. So if some, you know, some long-standing somebody comes with some GI issue or something, the diet really needs to be worked on. I will refer to that person. She referred, you know, so it's in, in this area, in the Boston area, it's, uh, things, people are actually really open. So of course, there's still, it's not like everybody's getting it, but yeah. people are getting more open and a lot of insurances are now beginning to cover uh, this acupuncture. So Blue Cross Blue Shield does, you know, many of them do. So it's becoming more popular. But and I always tell all my patients, I'm like, you know, you guys, please go and tell your physicians, you know, because my, my, my doctor actually referred a couple of patients to me, which is really nice. Wow. It's happening. And I think in India, it happens much more. You know, there's hmm. a lot of people do homeopathy. Um, yeah. A lot of people do Ayurveda. You know, they, they, they don't have a problem blend, melding the two. Yeah. thank you thank you for answering those oh, you're very welcome great <laughs> questions <laughs> yeah. yeah so actually uh, Amruta had asked the question about uh, the Chinese medicine and uh, what what would you prefer as you know like because initially you were a scientist and then later you, you know, changed your course and you went on to practice Chinese medicine. So I think that was similar to like my question, but I actually, I had a follow-up question. So uh, like you said that uh, all these types of medicine are complementary to each other. And there is like, each one has its own, uh, you know, way of treating uh, different ailments. So do you think there is any common thread in between traditional, um, you know, allopathic medication and these other forms of medicines or alternative forms of medicine as a scientist, you know, like if an unbiased opinion kind of. Yeah, I mean, all the time I'm trying to find meaning, believe me. So <laughs> to find what, uh, like if somebody comes with, uh, some pain or the other and then I think they're using Chinese medicine principles so you know they have a headache here but I'll put needles on their fingers and I'll put needles on their toes and I'll put needles on their legs and it all makes sense because this channel goes there and that channel goes there you know from a Chinese medicine perspective but I'm like from a western biological understanding like what is going on you know how is this working you know i just can't and i share that with my patients too because some of them will come and say you know there's one lady especially who comes she's got shoulder pain so 
If I shoulder pain, I put needles in her leg. And she's like, Surja, please pay attention to me. This is what is hurting. Why are you putting needles on the leg? And then I tell her, no, you know, trust me. This is where your, your shoulder is going to get better. Watch. And, you know, her shoulder will get better. She'll ask oh, wow. me, why did that happen? I said, because the young Ming channels runs through the leg and the shoulder. What the hell is the young Ming channel? I mean, just take my word for it, you know. There are many things we don't know, actually, from a biomedical perspective. We don't understand how it works. Now, in terms of, you know, there's a lot of research being done on on acupuncture specifically and how, you know, what, what's the, why is it working the way it works? One of the things they found out is for pain modulation, it definitely works through, at least majority of it works through the opioid system. If you give naloxone, you know, you guys know what naloxone is, right? Because you're from the pharmaceutical world. You give naloxone and you can block the antinociceptive effects of acupuncture. You can block the sensation of well-being. That a lot of people feel really well and rested after getting acupuncture. You can block that. So it's a lot of it is mediated through the opioid system. Um, then there's a lot of studies that have been shown, like you know, structurally, for instance, what happens. So if you put in a needle into a certain place, uh, and then you know they've described these channels that run up and down the body. So if you put the needle in, how come if you're putting a needle in here, you know somewhere else is affecting it, right? They've shown that um, in the fascia, there are these uh, fibroblasts. And the fibroblast motility actually changes when you put the needles into a certain place. So then, you know, distal to that point, proximal to that point, you can see changes in fibroblast length and things like that. How that's happening, what the cell signaling is, don't know yet. So there are a lot of things like that. A lot of uh, neurological pathways that, you know, little ones that we haven't mapped out. And again, this was something I mentioned in the last treatment that I saw with my own eyes. It was amazing. Again, this was a shoulder pain patient. So like I said, shoulder, you know, is here. The needles we put are on the leg for the shoulder pain. And, you know, people will come in, they can barely lift their arm. You put in the needles and then they'll raise their arm. It's, it's quite magical to behold. So the other day I had a lady who came in, she had really bad shoulder pain and, you know, this was not like I had done this three or four times on her leg and she wasn't able to go beyond a certain point. Okay, let me put needles into her shoulder itself, you know, and then put it up to an electro machine so that it stimulates the shoulder and breaks whatever the, you know, additions there are. So I started the electro acupuncture machine and her leg started twitching. And I said, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm not doing anything. You've got a machine you turn on and my leg is twitching on its own. Just imagine, like, the leg is actually connected to the shoulder. But how, you know, so there's, how is that connection? What is that connection? We really actually still don't know. So it's these macro level anatomical, you think anatomy, gross anatomy, we know everything there is already. We don't. There's so many things, you know, the connectivity, we don't really understand. Another, and so this, I was so excited when I saw it. I was like, wow, this is so cool. <laughs> another, another similar thing, like, you know, for um, sometimes men uh, who have urinary, uh, you know, they can't, you know, they, they cannot void properly. It'd be either because of a prostate or, you know, enlarged prostate or something. So you put in the needles on the, on, around the ankle. And you start turn on again this electrical stimulation, and you'll know that you're in the right because the big toe starts moving, and you know that it's 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 a branch of the sacral nerve which also innervates the bladder. That's fine, 
But sometimes when you turn the electric machine on and you put the needles on your right leg, the left toe will start twitching. The right toe will not twitch, the left toe will twitch. And so, you know, the body is connected in ways that we don't understand yet. Um, and somehow these guys 3,000 years ago or whatever, two and a half thousand years ago, figured it out. So when I go back in time, I want to go back to that time when they discovered this and figure out what the hell, how did they figure this out, you know? So, yeah. That is amazing. So, yeah. yeah. It is very amazing. So, Jana, do you want to... Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, continue. Yeah, so this is the acupuncture piece of it. And then, of course, there's the herbal medicine piece of it. Uh, you know, these herbs have been used for thousands of years. So the original textbook uh, from, you know, like 300 BC actually has like about 30 or 40 um, formulas for herbal medicine, herbal remedies. The big treatise on herbal uh, remedies was written in like the 1100s or something like that. And date, you know, those formulas, they work, you know, so we call them formulas because they are, you know, they're decoctions or combinations of like several herbs. So, um, and they treat all kinds of, really, you know, do a wonderful job treating all kinds of different ailments. Um, now, Western medicine has tried you know, looking at a lot of these traditional medicines, so both in Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, all of these, to try and isolate uh, an active principle figure out, you know, can this be made into a drug? And there have been cases, you know, there have been different, uh, you know, crossovers, for instance, uh, the, you know, in the last 10 years, there was the Nobel Prize in medicine that went to this Chinese lady for the discovery of artemisinin, which is an anti-malarial drug that came out of, yeah, so you guys are pharma people, so you should know this, right? Yep. <laughs> um, anti-malarial, came out of Chinese medicine. There is um, the first antihypertensive drug. Do you guys remember that? Part of an Ayurvedic drug. So Rao Wolfia Serpentina from um, yes. Rezepine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Rezepine, so that, yeah. Yes. So Rezepine is a product of you know, herbal medicine. It came out of the Ayurvedic, you know, uh, pharmacopoeia. Mm. So there are a um, lot of medicines that are being you know, a lot of research that goes on. There's a lot of research and the output is not that much. Mm. You have to try to figure out like, why is it? Is it because maybe you, it's not a single drug that, a uh, single chemical that does what it does. Maybe it's the combination of drugs that they're presented and that's causing, the, you know, that's responsible for the therapeutic action. Actually, one of the first statins also came out of, uh, you know, they used to use, what is that? That's from... Merck, right, Nareen? Bevacol or Travacol or whatever one of them. Red rice vinegar. Red red rice yeast. Something like that. So people used to take that to reduce their cholesterol until they they were able to identify the active ingredient. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, the areas are now converging. There's a lot of things that we will be able to understand. Like Chinese medicine, you know, I wish like I could figure out, uh, you know, I could give a dose, like, you know, say, okay, you're really tired. Okay, I'm going to prescribe you six ounces of tea. Here, take this. And I wish I could have it in a tablet and give it to them. <laughs> We're not there yet. Or I wish I could order labs and see how their labs are doing when I give them certain herbs. We don't have, in Massachusetts, we don't have the right to order labs. In California, they do. 
to you know to be able to see uh, objectively mm. what is going on so yeah wow. it's really fascinating how you talk <laughs> with such passion about uh, you know chinese medicine and even like the science behind it like i think that's where your uh, you know your degree and your phd and your uh, experience in psychiatry and neuroscience i think that's where you are able to uh, you know explain the mechanisms of how this medicine works i think that's really that that's a very nice way that you're explaining thank you <laughs> really impressed no, I'm, i i'm really I, i'm very fascinated i've always loved pharmacology i think it's like the bridge between basic medicine and um you know treatment i mean if you don't have a drug what are you going to do i mean besides that you consider Yeah, one of our pharmacology professor, like one of my pharmacology professors back in India, she is studying Ayurveda, and she also tries to make sense out of this. Like she tries to connect because she is a pharmacology professor, mm-hmm. and she still believes in Ayurveda. So she tries to do like, uh, you know, have that logic of how and how it works. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's great. Yeah. Sanjana, WHO. You... Yeah, I was just going to say WHO is actually opening up a center for traditional medicine in India to start studying. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they just announced it this week. Nice. So I think we'll get more oh. research on wow. it. Yeah. So, it's time to go back to India and work there. Me? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> right after what are some of the tips that you have for us to network more efficiently and effectively hmm i would say i mean depending on what your areas of interest are uh, you know first of all find out who are the people who are working there now you have linkedin so it's not hard to find people and then i think sending them emails or you know whatever a lot of people i find are pretty uh, open to talking to you mm-hmm. and i think if you go in without without wanting something like you know what i mean just going in there saying i want to you know in the back give of me a job straight up say give me a job and whatever they suggest you know not just saying okay this is not going to work you know this, i i don't i'm this is like you know mentally you know you have this list of things that you think are going to work and you think are not going to work so um in really? not have that mental checklist and go with an open mind you know somebody gives you a suggestion say oh yeah why not you know so that would be one thing then if you obviously if you have organizations that are you know your uh, whatever your organization is that you're into the microbiology group or you know what whatever the, the body is you would definitely go in there and you know talk to people i mean i don't know what else uh, i just getting over the discomfort of talking to people i think is number one then you know hitting on people like uh, using or whatever powers of influence people of influence you know like dr simile here yeah or whoever <laughs> or dr roy chaudhry over here as well <laughs> or dr roy chaudhry over here or here or whatever you know <laughs> what yeah. at the worst what is going to happen nothing they'll say oh, yeah something might come 
something might happen. The worst is that they just ignore your message. That's it, honestly. Which right, is and then when they, they ignore your message, it's not personal. It just, yeah. it just hey. is what it is. Yeah. Hey, uh, Akshay joined. Uh, great. Hi, Akshay. How are you? Hi, I'm so sorry. Um, I meant to come earlier, but I got a bit held back today. No worries. Quickly introduce yourself and just ask any question to uh, Suraj. Any <laughs> <laughs> question. <laughs> Um, my name is Akshay Ravindranath. <clears throat> I work in upstream uh, uh, development, and I'm currently working on developing vaccines for COVID vaccines in Canada. Uh, okay. And it starts with building the facility as well as uh, establishing the process for manufacturing. Wonderful. Yeah. And did you say you work? Who did you say you're working? I'm actually working for the government. So this is the National Research Council of Canada. And nice. we're trying to manufacture the Novavax uh, vaccine. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right, there's a guy you should all network with. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I just started. I can't promise anything yet. <laughs> like, anyway. Yeah. And so, so Akshay, just quick uh, background to Suraja is uh, a friend of mine, and she, she does acupuncture. She talked about change. I know it's totally random, but. Uh, <laughs> Ask ask her some questions, or maybe maybe you can do the rapid fire questions. So you you've seen me done. <laughs> Just ask her random. Are you putting me on the spot? I don't think I can do that. <laughs> no, no, uh, at first, I'm going to say I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, and then the lesson that you guys have learned is don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I know. Oh, let me try and ask a question. Um, so, uh, what? was the first point where you were inspired to change and to take on to this kind of journey? Yeah, we talked about that. I, uh, my, the first change I made was when I moved from doing lab work into deciding I didn't want to do be a scientist but not knowing what I wanted to do. So I went and did an MBA. And uh, the, the reason for that is really I just hated what I was doing. I hated lab work. I hated... Uh, the thought that I had to do four postdocs before I could get a, you know, research assistant professor job that I didn't really want to write grants and stuff like that. So I really just, you know, held my breath and jumped off the cliff. Yeah. I hoped I would land somewhere with a degree, like not just, okay. just go out there. I, I firmly believe in the value of education. So, um, you know, I don't mind going in. I mean, I think I'm done with getting degrees now, but if push comes to shove, you know, I don't mind going back to school, I think, I think at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, um, you know, normally uh, we do this uh, rapid fire and I usually ask someone to do the rapid fire, but we'll try something completely different since you are not too many people. Just let's see. Okay, so uh, all of us will ask one question of to Suraja, of, for which okay. the answer has to be either one one word or a phrase. So it has to be it has to be quick. Okay, we'll start with Amrita. Uh, well, it has to be one word or a phrase. Yeah, you know, like what is your favorite book, for example? Like quick, quick answers, right? Not 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 elaborate answers. So we'll start with Amrita, then Sharvari, then Sanjana, then Akshay, then me, and then uh, okay, and maybe you can ask yourself your question also, Suraja, if you want. So let's start with Amrita. <laughs> What's your favorite comfort food? Belpuri. Wow. <laughs> what do you like to do on a Sunday morning? 
Sunday morning. Uh, nothing. Slide bed. <laughs> Sanjana. What's your favorite Chinese medicine procedure? Acupuncture. What is it? Acupuncture. Acupuncture. Hmm. Akshay? Uh, what's the reason hobby that you've gotten into now? Hindustani classical music. Uh, what what book are you reading now? Uh, I'm actually not reading anything currently. Okay. Come, I've developed weird ADD with this uh, pandemic, so I can't stick for longer than like five pages before I have to check Facebook, WhatsApp, uh, you know, all those different fun things. But the last book I read was a book by my friend. It's called His Voice. And it's written by um, her. So this friend of mine, her name is Reema Pandey. Her father got a stroke. And for two years, he was completely nonverbal. So she wrote a book thinking about how he must be perceiving his life. Uh, you know, everybody's doing things for him and things like that, which is the last book I read. It was a very well put together book, not overly sentimental and, you know, bringing a lot of questions about end of life care from the caregiver's perspective and the person who is the patient also. Right. Uh, very nice book. I would recommend it. Right. Let's, let's quickly and then I have this big Chinese medicine book that I'm actually there's a journal club that's going to start on that next month. So I've signed up for that. So I'm, I figured when the journal club begins, that's when I'll start reading it. Let's <laughs> do one more, one more round quickly. Amrita. You were on mute, Amrita. Yeah. Uh, what would you like to, like, where do you see yourself after 10 years? What? After, after what? 10 years from now. After 10 years from now? Oh my God. Um, hopefully, doing the same thing. I, maybe living by the sea on a mountain. Mm, nice. <laughs> the same thing. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, who is your favorite singer? Sanjeeva Bhyankar. I thought you'd say Anand Bhan. <laughs> Pate, sorry. Anand Pate. Meena Sahasrabuddhi. What country are you going to go to next after um, the pandemic? God, I really want to go to Italy. Morocco. Ooh. We should go to Morocco. <laughs> I'll tag along. Let's go to Morocco. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, he keeps on going on. One more, one more. And I won't talk okay, to you um, more. <laughs> what's your favorite guilty pleasure? My favorite guilty pleasure? Oh my Chocolate God. How many or... Should I begin? <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to keep a fifth on that. <laughs> you keep, oh, she's keeping a fifth on that. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, my question, right? Um, or fa fa favorite uh, rag, which oh, that's too, uh, too general. Okay, no, but you have to. Abhogi. Abhogi, okay. Abhogi, joke. Okay. Abhogi. Okay. Thank you so much, Suraja. Thank you, everyone, for calling in. It is it my pleasure. Fun to hang out. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for taking out the time to meet us. Absolutely. <laughs> thank nice you so much, guys. Really good. Really nice chatting with you all.
really good questions and wish you all the best and you know do everything that you want to do and don't get burnt out by the time you're 30 years old or whatever like you're like a 15 definitely all right bye, bye. thank you bye a network should last a lifetime let us help you create lasting professional relationships with our world class mentors through the biopatrika industry mentorship program a strategic guidance program unlike no other full of expert interviews industry internship opportunities cv writing inflection point analysis life maps and of course the gateway to your dream career for a limited time only all our services are freely available for you as we truly want you to succeed